batted away. Who else? Freddie All-Star on the move. Attacking the end one. He's on a 12-0 run. Fred with another stop and a steal. A 13-0 run by Van Vliet. 17 in the third. Fred feeling it. Using the birch screen. Shot good. 15-0 run. So Varel, say there was this five foot eleven shooting guard. He's had to take the leading role in the team. All the defense is focused on him, and he still manages to average thirty-two points a game in a six-game winning streak for his team to take them over five hundred. Now that player, where would you guess he is in the All-Star voting for East East guards? I mean, I'm going to pretend that I have no idea what you're talking about, but if there was such an individual in imagine that position, that. I would imagine they're, you know, they're right up there. They're surely a guaranteed all-star come out. No, I mean, I mean, you'd think that, right? I mean, imagine scoring, you know, six-game winning streak, 27-31, 35-33, 29, uh, sorry, 19-37 and 32, including a range of clutch shots, including your first ever triple-double. Um, you'd expect them to be high, but um, in fact, Fred Van Vliet, who Jonas Valanciunas yesterday called the new Kyle Lowry, is 10th in the All-Star rankings. As it stands, I mean, it could change by the time you're listening to this, dear listener, but the first returns had him on just over 100,000 votes, while the likes of DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine were well over a million. So... It's a tough one, and Fred's getting slept on, but that doesn't matter to us. We know in Toronto that Fred's a good player. The fans don't quite get to show it in the stands. Obviously, Ontario has banned all fans from the stadium, but that hasn't stopped it. The lack of atmosphere has not stopped the Raptors' winning streak, and that's what I am so proud of and really want to dissect today. Varel, out of these six games, Sorry, we could say seven games because of the New Orleans Pelicans yeah. win. Which yeah. one exemplified the improvement in Nick Nurse's team? I think we'd have to look at the game against the Bucs. Definitely, it was a big one. Mm. I mean, um, no Giannis. Let's just put that as a caveat. But still. Yeah, but uh, I mean, uh, it's something we'll discuss with the other games, but... Every single player, I mean, include, sorry, every single team, including the Raptors, were missing key players. Um, but the this Buck team, even without Yanis, which they have been uh, without during stretches this year, they've looked like a very, very good team, easily a playoff team without Yanis. So uh, the fact that we were, you know, down um, going into the second half as well, and then we showed resilience to take that home, I think that was probably our most impressive win. Um, and that's just... Just putting us in an absolutely fantastic uh, position, hasn't it, Kamel? Um, I want to ask you what you thought the most impressive game was also, but uh, we can also discuss where you think we're going in the next month or so, because are we now looking to, you know, be a solidified playoff team? And if that's the case, how high do you think this team seeding is in terms of seeding? Are we likely to challenge the, you know, the fourth or fifth seed 
Boston with the likes of Philadelphia, maybe even uh, challenge that top four in the East at the moment? Or do you think our ce the ceiling for this team is capped at around that five seed? I think before we can even get into that, we need to look at these six games and right. see what kind of takeaways we get from them. Because as you say, we have to caveat each victory with the fact that these weren't exactly the strongest lineups. I mean, you go through it, LA, no Kawhi. New York, uh, I think they actually did have their strongest lineup, but then the Knicks at the same time. San Antonio are a rebuilding side. Milwaukee didn't have Giannis. Uh, Utah had eight players out, including the likes of Mitchell and Gobert. And New Orleans, yeah, yeah. of course, still have Zion out, although not for COVID reasons. Uh, they're more for um, obesity reasons or, or, or something of that nature. Um, um, uh, to, and just to include there, Kamel, uh, Knicks actually also had Randall out. Uh, so, yeah, oh, it's pretty enough. much every team. Pretty much every team had their best player out. And I wanted to include the Spurs there as well, who um, was one of our losses, but even they had... Oh, Spurs won 129-104 uh, victory, my friend. Oh, uh, yeah, sorry, sorry. Um, had the no use to Ls. But they also had DeJounte Murray missing. So, um, I, th I think he's probably their best player as well, so... But that's fair, and I think um, the Bucks being the most impressive win, something I'd agree with, and something that we can go into. It's the win that took the Raptors over 500. It's also the first time that the Raptors pretty much had all their players available, uh, which was great. Uh, so going into this victory, I think there's two main elements here. One is Pascal Siakam. So we waxed Lyrico about Van Vliet at the start of the episode, and deservedly so, but Siakam in this game, took over. This was one of Van Vliet's weakest games in January. He only dropped 19 with five assists. That's weak uh, in this sort of form. But <laughs> Siakam is kind of taking those minutes. And also, interestingly enough, with the likes of Malachi Flynn and Banton just getting DNP after DNP, he's almost taking on that backup point guard role and as the main ball handler, either when Van Vliet's off or he needs a rest on the floor itself. And he's still efficient while he does it. He's someone you trust now to get a bucket at the top of the key. Uh, he's becoming a better yeah. and better playmaker. Yeah. Um, I did want to highlight his assist statistics, especially over the last month or so. Seven last night against the Pelicans, uh, five against Utah, six against Milwaukee, five against San Antonio, seven against the Knicks, and seven against the Clippers. I mean, that's not something that excellent. we've seen at all this season. Yeah, that's and, excellent. I mean, so, so he can... He, he can do it, essentially. He can do it. He's doing the thing that we thought maybe Scotty Barnes would do. And we'll come on to Barnes later as, as a fourth or fifth option. But Siakam, he's delivering. I'm not sure if you have anything to add on that. He's, yeah, he's, he's been the he's, he's been genuinely spectacular in the highlights that I've seen of him, Kamel, uh, these past few games. Um, and, this, yeah. I, I, wanted to, I wanted to just emphasise, um, you made an excellent point there about um, leading the offence. Um, that range of five to seven assists a game that's what the best you know passing forwards get in the league the best playmaking forwards like that's something maybe lebron probably averages a touch higher maybe eight assists a game but that's like pretty much at the top of the league in terms of assist stats in that in that three four position um it's not something you may we may have actually expected from siakam um your, the handling i also wanted to touch on it's something that i was actually um, critical of Siakam in previous seasons uh, because 
yeah, I didn't think it was his hand ball handling was at a high enough level where, say, if he got the ball out to him or at the top of the perimeter, that he could get past some of the tougher wing defenders in the league. He would get into a lot of trouble where, you know, he, even if he doesn't get the ball stolen, he'd have to turn his back to the defender because he wasn't confident enough uh, with handing the ball in front of these tougher defenders. But that's again something he's improved on and lastly your point about taking those mid-range shots he's been taking them and he's been pretty efficient with them as well uh and that's yeah it's an it's a great great sign to see because that's again is suggesting he's trying to get into that mold of you know our go-to start superstar player if he's able to develop that to you know a, a, a you know let's say a very good level He's going to become our go-to guy in clutch situations and that's what we were expecting of him you know two years ago when he was the all-star starter uh in the east we were thinking right now he's taking transitioning into that Kawhi leonard role um and so he needs to be dominating from all areas of the floor offensively and yeah i think it's his aggressiveness more than anything in these past couple of games maybe coupled with uh this uh duo tandem that he has with van Vliet. Clearly, they've got a lot of chemistry as well. But um, yeah, it's something we just basically need to continue to see. And it's going to, I think he's going to continue to progress in that role if the team continues to have overall stability without COVID protocols and all this stuff. But obviously, that's easy said than done, Kamel. Yeah, and um, you just remind me, there was a series of clutch misses, you know, buzzer beater misses last year where some people thought it would be the start of Siakam's kind of villain origin story and he just collapsed to the league or get traded to another team. But he's turned that completely around and, and just become, as you say, that all-round player. And it's interesting, you know, we, we can move on from the Bucks maybe to the Knicks game. And you mentioned Randall being out for that. And Siakam's kind of putting in the kind of performances, those all-star performances that, that Randall was last year. He's been obviously struggling this year. Um, but even without uh, Randall and his, and his off form, the Knicks still couldn't get it done. And this perhaps was one game where Van Vliet really, really announced himself um, with 35 points, uh, including seven threes. Uh, the Knicks could could not handle him. I mean, Evan Fournier's had a couple of good games. But apart from that, and I know we've discussed the Knicks before, so we won't spend too long on it. Why? Why do you think this this team just 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 can't cut it? Just can't cut it, especially when it comes to the Raptors. Um, if we look at this Knicks team, Camille, let's look at one statistic which I find absolutely hilarious because we've talked about this all year. Uh, we actually out rebounded them forty four to thirty. The Knicks had thirty overall rebounds. That might be like a league low. I've not seen that low. Wait, let's see how many shots were taken this game. Yeah, okay. The Knicks shot 78 shots. We shot 80, 86. So it's not a ridiculously low number of shots. I mean, it was a fairly high scoring game. 122, 105. There's a fair few number of missed shots. 30 rebounds is ridiculous. And I think this is something I wanted to highlight. They had Taj Gibson as their small ball five because uh, obviously they're missing Miss Mitchell Robinson. So one thing one aspect maybe that this game shows is that our small ball five is basically our permanent five right now isn't it Kamel? um oh yeah let, let's, that's that's the lineup 
um, whether or not Ken Birch is playing, even he's a you know on the smaller side. You can throw Boucher in there for the depth as well. He can count a small ball as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, but the point is, we match up incredibly well when um, the other teams try out small ball five lineups because we were so used to it all season that, yeah, this is what happens against a team that, again, tries to match us in that department. We've been doing it all year, so they're not going to be used to it. They're going to have difficulty rebounding because we've had to try and rebound against taller, sometimes more athletic players all year. So if we win the rebounding battle against any team, yeah, I think it's done. Like, we won that game. I, w I would be really surprised if we lose a game and also out-rebound the other team this year. I think that's one thing. I mean, we've discussed now a couple of wins. There's always that nagging feeling that you go up against a team like Philly, of course, the last team you lose to, or you go up against a team with any, you know, reasonably mobile and, and actual big man. The Raptors yeah, are yeah. going to struggle. Um, interesting thing about Milwaukee is probably one of their best players was Boogie, who came off the bench. They just picked him up on a free deal uh, not too long ago. And of course, he picked up a double-double in his short time off the bench because he was able to take advantage of, you know, Boucher and Ken Birch and, of course, uh, Siakam. Uh, it's not been a bad rebounder, but it's just not, can't match up physically to them. So is there still, especially as we look maybe at the Raptors, now 20 and 17, of course, maybe looking for those uh, to really break into the playoff race, uh, to pick up a someone sizable. I mean, I've seen Taco Four mentioned, yeah. of course. Uh, probably not the kind of guy you're looking for, but at least someone with a bit of mass, you know? Uh, yeah, I think it's, like it's a necessity. I, I think that puts us over the edge, in honesty. If we have a full-strength lineup, but then then the question goes to, okay, we're going to look to trade for a centre. that any free agent centres? No. So who are we willing to give up? It's probably going to have to be a young piece. Uh, so we're not going to we're not going to give up Scotty Barnes, but uh, we're going to maybe look to give up some of our more fringe players who aren't necessarily, um, you know, young up and coming, you know, like star type ceiling talents. Like um, I've forgotten our Japanese player's name. Camille, Watanabe. Name is, uh, Watanabe. I had Nakamura in my mind for some reason, the chess player. Um, but. Um, Yes, uh, I think it's it's a necessity. And another game that actually highlights this, Yaka Pertl mm. returned to the Raptors. He had a really solid game against us. 9 of 13, 19 points from the floor. And yeah, it looked a bit too easy for him, I think, on the inside and some possessions. And funny enough, when you mentioned Boogie, he, he did have a solid game, but apparently the Bucks organisation didn't think it was solid enough because they waived him soon afterwards. <laughs> and now he's... Uh, looking to get a 10-day contracts with uh, various organizations so you're saying he's a free agent <laughs> there Very we go um, i said there's no free agent so there's boogie on the market and i i would absolutely love that fit i think um it would be a really good organization for him to go to we they, we've talked about all the media narrative about him as a being, you know, some mental deficiencies, perhaps immaturity, whatever. I don't know how true that is, but I certainly don't think that's going to be an issue with the Raptors because uh, we have so many players who fought for adversity, got really good mentalities, good organisation. I think it'd be the perfect fit for us in terms of like having a backup centre because we have enough guys who can defend the wings, um, who, who, who are mobile, 
uh, when it comes to moving laterally, right? We don't need Boogie to do that. Boogie can just sit in the paint, try and um, alter any guys coming into the paint shots. We don't even need him blocking anything, but just have a little bit of length and size. Yeah, Boogie, please come to Toronto. Yeah, I mean, I can't argue with that. I mean, there is something to be said with Nick Nurse's system requiring five mobile players, but sometimes, you mm. know, you just need mm. you just need a big body in there to defend, right? If Embiid's absolutely... Off the bench, off the bench. Yeah, exactly. Need you just need now. it. Have that option. Have that option. Uh, but yeah, you highlight the Spurs, of course. Um, regardless of Pertil's uh, success on the inside, still a fantastic win and probably one of the first wins where the bench really came into its own. Uh, both Achua and Justin Champigny uh, scoring double figures. We even managed to see minutes for Isaac Bonga. That's how much of a blowout win it was. Um, and I think probably while the Bucks was the most important win, this maybe was the most complete win. And as we see from the scoreline, 129-104. Um, very, very comprehensive. Um, I did want to move, though, uh, onto your favourite team. Maybe the players not available... The players not being available, they didn't play how you might have wanted them. But the Utah, the win over the Utah Jazz, I mean, this is one of the games I was glad I, for some reason at 2 a.m., was tuning into. The Raptors went into halftime uh, 62 49 down. And then we stumbled upon a third quarter that I think if you didn't watch it live, you won't know how amazing it was. It was Fred Van Vliet taking over going on a 15-0 run by himself on a way to a 24-point, three-steal, three-rebound, two-block quarter, if you can believe that, and absolutely turning the game on its head. I mean, I, I never saw anything like it. Uh, it led to Van, Van Bleet's first ever triple-double, uh, 37 mm. points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists, couple of steals. I mean, it was just... Th there was... It was like Lowry used to do back in the day when the Raptors were struggling and they just needed one person to take over the game. Van Vliet somehow pulled it out of the bag. I, again, you probably heard the clip at the start of the episode about it. Just just seeing uh, Maddie D and Jack get so excited about it and they were justified. This was individually the best Raptors performance of the last, since the championship, since the championship win. And I don't think that's a outrageous statement to make in the slightest. Interesting. What did you think? Yeah, no, I, no. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see it live. Um, watched the highlights. Didn't realize he was that dominant in the third quarter. Obviously, because I didn't watch the whole third quarter start to finish. Um, one thing just uh, from the highlights that stood out to me was just uh, this game in particular, man. Like. Again, when he constructed the roster, trying to force these turnovers and put that sort of defensive pressure on teams. We had 11 steals, seven blocks. Seven blocks is above average for us, but 11 steals is absolutely ridiculous. And um, I wonder, I don't have a stat in front of me, but I'm curious as to how many, say, deflections we had, which didn't necessarily turn, lead to turnovers as well. But um, just in terms of disrupting the offense, uh, the um, opposing teams, uh, ball movement and everything because I was, I was looking at the stats Utah shot 48% from the field and 44% from three like they had a very good offensive performance and then I saw they scored 108 points I thought no how has this actually happened but it is because we just managed to keep uh, turning the ball over and uh, sorry 
forcing them to turn the ball over. And um, yeah, from watching the highlights, I mean, it was clear that um, they just needed one or two guys to uh, run the offense, like um, Donovan Mitchell would or Mike Conley would. Uh, so yeah, that, that was spectacular. And it, that was actually a theme across a lot of the games. Um, we didn't, the reason we forced teams to shoot, you know, or score just over 100 points in various games. I mean, um, only one team in the last six games, I think, scored over 110 points coming out, and that was the Milwaukee Bucks. And the recurring theme was we just kept forcing turnovers. So that's what this, again, this roster was constructed to do. And clearly, the defensive scheme, which in some games you saw Kamel at the start of the season, like they were really forcing, like, uh, like trying to get into those passing lanes, and they were probably gambling a little bit too much, especially some of the younger guys. But I think now they clearly they've found some sort of balance where they've just, yeah, they're just now getting those turnovers and also not giving up wide open corner threes or um, too many wide open uh, shots in the paint. So, yeah, it is something I remember at the start of the season, Kamel, you said you did actually like the way the scheme was looking and you thought they just needed more time to settle in into the scheme in order to see what it would look like towards the end of the year. And I think uh, clearly you're, you're right in saying that. Well, thank you, sir. Yes, uh, it's not it's not a, not a rare, thing, not a rare thing for that to happen in basketball. In any sense, uh, another great highlight from that game was Chris Boucher. Um, it's not only on the box score, 13 points and plus 12 on the field, but his exhaustion, his pure exhaustion at the end of the game turned into a meme afterwards, him just lying on the bench. He couldn't get up at all. Uh, he only played 20 minutes, so it made it even funnier. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it shows his transformation, though, because I know I've been very critical, and this is one aspect you've been right in terms of Chris Boucher. He's just played a little bit more within himself. Um, he played a massive part in the helping Van Vliet and the Raptors make that third quarter run. He's, but he's just played within himself, less hero ball, more cuts, more sensible plays, and he's reaping the rewards. And he's become really a massive part of this uh, rotation. He's knocked Achua out. He's not even knocked Ken Birch out. And he's now the sixth man off. And he's looking a lot more like the sixth man of the year candidate that we saw last season. Um, and on comes the last game. And it's another example of Van Vliet being a hero. Less obvious this time if, if you didn't watch the game, but these two massive threes that he made, almost from nothing, right? Lo like logo level threes, just turns the game, turn the game's momentum on its head. Uh, you don't need me to describe why, but uh, a 34 foot uh, three and then a 26 foot step back jumper on a fast break. So he had the chance to drive to the rim and just take the two. But he was so confident, he's so hyper by himself right now that he just step, he just he just steps back behind the three-point line and launches it. Very, very confident. And uh, of course, we saw the Pelicans, JV's return, but without Zion, um, and managed to just about put them away. So, I mean, I don't know what more you can say. It's a six-game winning streak. Raptors are looking fantastic. They've got a great schedule coming up. Phoenix maybe aside, but Detroit, Milwaukee. I'm not sure if Milwaukee will rest Giannis this time. Uh, you've got Miami, uh, Dallas, and then Washington. So it's great in terms of seeing where the Raptors are. 
Not necessarily <laughs> going to guarantee I to come out. save myself there. But what, yeah, 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 it's yeah. a tough one, but this is where they no, are. But these teams aren't at full strength. So it's a bit deceptive. Like, yeah, it could, if that was at the start of the season, full strength, you'd say, wow, that is a very, very tough schedule. But um, they're not at full strength. Uh, we'll see. The Heat have been, uh, of, of course, one of the top, these top four teams, but they've had periods of being slightly up and down. Jimmy Butler hasn't looked quite himself this year. Um, I really, I'm really actually looking forward to this Mavericks team because they, uh, we talked about them last month, but I think they're slowly, look, they're slowly turning things around. I think they'll probably end up being like the five seed in the East as well. So. Um, I did mention off air before the episode uh, started that going into February, going into the All-Star break, we do have a pretty tough schedule. So um, Miami three times, the, which is mad. This six-game streak, Kamel, has done wonders for us because look, even now on this hot streak we've been, I'd honestly not be not be too displeased with say a 500 um, like win one win one game lose one game going into february that's how tough our schedule looks on paper so um this six game win streak yeah it's it's done absolute wonders but if we can actually continue it on it would surprise me but i, I mean yeah i would absolutely love to see it, obviously i think the last thing we can round off the episode with is scotty barnes now obviously we're very very high on him early on uh even throughout december uh, and November, he started dominating as sort of the second and third option. Of course, since now everyone has returned, he's been relegated. He's taken only nine shots a game. He's averaging less than 10 points a game. And although he's, his assist numbers are growing, you can see he's not impacting games like he normally does. I wanted to ask you, do you think this is an example of the rookie wall? Or do you think simply it's him taking his rightful place in the offense, which is, as we said, the fourth or fifth option. And this is just natural in his development. But I'll give you his latest latest numbers. I mean, scored seven against New Orleans, six against Milwaukee. He's played over 30 minutes in all the games. So it's not like he's not getting a chance. Um, I'm going to throw that back at you because I think it's a really good question. I'm going to have some time just to consider it no that's more than fair i mean if you look at it his his best game of the winning streak was against san antonio 11 points nine rebounds eight assists so very close to a triple double there very draymond green like in his play his play sort of reminds me more and more of every time i see him but i think you would agree and i think the idea of him continuing to be a sort of two or three option in a team yeah, that is now chasing playoffs, when you have Bandley, yeah. OG, and Siakam, is just taking the ethos of sacrificing wins for development just too far. He'll learn how right. to play in this. You know, if he's good enough, he'll maybe take more shots. The only thing you would say is perhaps he can be a bit more aggressive in his shooting. He doesn't need to defer yeah. all the time to the seniors. And, you know, he can become a very valuable, you know, the fourth head, the fourth head of the offense as it were. But as it as as he is playing, might not show up on the box score, but he's impacting the game. And I guess Nick Nurse is keeping him in for a reason, right? I mean, he can't be playing. Yeah, in, in the starting lineup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And uh, does this narrative remind you of a certain player, Kamel? Somebody Tell who's... 
who, who, who is a very good defender coming out of the draft, who's working on other aspects of his game, who impacted the game in other ways. And of course, had to in his early years defer to some of the, some of the bigger players in the organization but once he did then develop under them he took on you know a star role and he just went on from there it does draw some parallels doesn't it was he born in london by chance oh that's so interesting was he no we're going with into completely different directions i'm talking oh. about uh, quiet leonard oh fair enough i was talking about og who yeah. is hawaii b2 i guess but no, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. that's fair enough. That's an interesting comparison. That, that's that's quite interesting, isn't it? Quite a few, yeah. It seems like quite a few guys who have actually ended up developing into, you know, very good NBA players have uh, taken similar parts. So maybe it's not something that Scotty should be, uh, you know, uh, he should feel disappointed about taking this lesser role because it's not going to, I think, impact his development in the long, long term playing proper basketball. No, of course. And of course, in your rookie season, reaching playoffs doesn't hurt development either. Having that experience. No, 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 no. OG, right? Like nailing that three against the Cavs and stuff. Uh, right. Anyway, we're looking too much to the past. Don't worry about Scotty. I guess that's the message. But, and also do not worry if the Raptors lose a couple of games in this next streak. Uh, we have caveated our wins of Lois Van Vliet is playing out of his mind. It cannot continue for the whole season and yeah, eventually yeah. the Raptors opponents will get all their players back. So, you know, even if you go two and four by the time we do the next episode, that's fine. We'll still be over 500. So... Exactly. We've set up well. I mean, I'm confident. You know, it's, it's been interesting, actually, the our, our own progression throughout this season in terms of, you know, at one point, we're sort of nine and 13, we're sort of 14 and 17, and we're just feeling very uneasy and now now it's completely changed one week's completely changed so uh, uh, exactly and let's not we, it's happened far too many times on this podcast where we've had zero and four weeks and as well Camille we I think our last game was that Cleveland episode where we had the worst loss of franchise history 45 point loss hell yeah so how bipolar is that we go from just at the absolute stinky bottom of this <laughs> franchise to then six wins in a row that you, nobody could have predicted it and I mean I think it'd be nice to round off um, just on giving a prediction now. Uh, maybe again, looking too far forward into the future. But when uh, I talked about it at the start of the episode, do you, how high do you think this team's ceiling is in terms of their seeding? Not in six. terms of the playoffs, that's probably too far forward. But in terms of their regular season seeding, six seed. I don't think you can. I don't think. Seeding. I think there's five teams just far better than them, and especially with all their players back. Omicron's going to end soon. The peak's going to end soon, so players will, teams, these teams will have their players back and they'll be playing full strength, so. Who's that Who's that fifth team out of curiosity? Well, who's your top four? I'll give you the fifth. Well, I think there's a, for me, there's a tier, clear top four and I think after that, it's unclear. Um, well, obviously, Heat, Bucks, Nets and Chicago. He's, okay. Um, I was counting, I mean, I could say six, to be honest, based on how Cleveland are playing. Um, but no, I put fully comfortably yeah, in fifth. I put fully comfortably in fifth, especially if they deal Simmons before the um, fully comfortably in fifth. Really? Do you not? Do you not think us at full strength versus Philly at full strength? Like you know, they're they're also on a six-game winning streak as well. They're playing really good basketball at the minute. Yeah, yeah, but 
Yeah, but it's not on our level, bro. They, they've got one superstar, superstar player, but look how well-rounded our roster is. Come on, like, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm getting a little bit too hyped, but... Um, yeah, we've had success against Philly in previous uh, playoffs as well. So maybe I'm looking, getting a bit too excited after the past couple of games, but I, I don't see them as, uh, you know, in the same categories as top four. I definitely put them in the tier below. Well, fair enough. Then you could count Cleveland, but then again, Ricky Rubio's injury might mean they drop to seventh or eighth. But in any sense, I'm just focusing so basically on... everything to play for. Everything yeah, to just play focus for on that, that W column. Uh, and, and very, very last thing. Make sure you are on the NBA site voting for Van Vliet every day. Um, yeah, he's not gonna he's not gonna get ahead of Demar. You can vote for Demar as well. Of course. Listen to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You absolutely should be voting for uh, Demar. It's it's blasphemous. Yeah. It's dope. But listen to this propaganda at the end of the vote, episode. Vote for Demar. Vote for Van Vliet. Um, <laughs> if you retweet our own tweets, maybe getting a lot of traction uh, on the socials. Um, balling in this at balling in the six. We've been getting retweets from everyone. We've been trying to get Drake and Trudeau to give it a push as well. But if you retweet that, that also counts as a vote. So get onto our socials, retweet that, and let's get Fred Van Vliet to this All-Star game as much as we can. Oh, these social influencers telling everyone how to vote. Exactly. On that note. Exactly. On that note, we'll catch you. Week, everyone. This is an extra long episode because we haven't seen you for a while, but next week we'll resume to normal service. Take care, everyone.